It's interesting that the well-being of therapists themselves is really hardly ever mentioned in these ethical codes. In the camp ethical code, the well-being of therapists is only mentioned insofar as to ensure that our own challenges don't interfere with our clinical work. So really the only time that this consistently comes up in codes of ethics is that we have to make sure that we're well enough to provide these services to our clients. But how we ensure our own well-being isn't really talked about. Hey there, and welcome to The Bad Therapist Show, the podcast for current and aspiring private practice therapists who want to earn more money, work less, and have a way bigger impact. I'm your host, Felicia, The Bad Therapist, former goody-goody therapist turned six-figure private practice owner and therapist business coach. I'm here to help you learn everything you need to know about private practice and expanding beyond the one-to-one model so you can earn more money and increase your impact as a therapist without burning out or hustling. Using my proven liberated business method, therapists at all stages of business have been able to grow their income while becoming even better therapists. And I'm on a mission to help you do the same. It's time for you to get your time back and enjoy being a therapist again. You ready? Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to The Bad Therapist Show. I'm your host, Felicia, The Bad Therapist. Today, we're talking about giving back. This is a phrase we use all the time as therapists. It is something we talk about. We are often saying how we need to give back through our work. We feel like we want to, we have to. And what it generally means for a lot of us is working for low wages, whether that's in the context of working for an agency or the government or working for ourselves. Oftentimes we work for low wages even when we're the boss. So where did this come from? How did we end up here with giving back, meaning specifically working for low wages? And is that truly the only way to give back? The truth is there are a lot of different ways to give back. And as a bad therapist, I encourage you to take the time to decide what this means for you specifically. We're going to start the episode by reviewing where this ethical imperative to give back comes from and ways to uphold your ethical obligations while also meeting your own needs. So let's get into it. First, you got into this field because you wanted to make a difference. Very few of us therapists decided to be therapists because we were motivated by money. I know that was not at all on my radar or part of my plan as being a therapist. And a lot of us, including myself, actively thought of working as a therapist as being outside of the money-making realm. I've said it on the podcast before. I used to say that therapy and social work type jobs were low paying on purpose because it kept people out of it for the wrong reasons. The sort of subtext of that being that anyone who wanted to make money was just somehow inherently evil and we don't want evil people doing this job. So we're all low paid to keep evil people who want to earn a living and be financially comfortable out of the field. And, uh, you know, in large part, that's a little bit true because most of us therapists are are not earning a lot of money. I mean, I think that's starting to change where a lot of people are starting to be more entrepreneurial. People are, are no longer willing to work for low wages. But I would say the majority of our field is still kind of under this, this misconception that in order to be helpful, you also have to be broke yourself. So again, for a lot of us therapists, Giving back equates to having fees that don't bring in enough money for us to pay our own bills or 
maybe we are paying our own bills, but we're we're not really setting ourselves up for financial security in the future. We're not paying down our student loans. We're not saving for retirement. We're living paycheck to paycheck. We're kind of stuck in the cycle of just keeping our heads above water. That's the reality for a lot of therapists with master's degrees who are licensed. This can also show up in our private practices as just offering sliding scale spots to anyone who asks because we would feel too guilty saying no, and we worry that if we don't say yes, there's no way this person is going to get help. Eventually, life catches up with us, and we realize that avoiding money or pretending to not care about it has some really major negative consequences. And nearly every therapist I have worked with struggles with how to make money and make a difference. Like they're they're torn up inside about this. They're really afraid that if they put any focus on making money that they'll become evil. And so they they have a lot of resistance to earning money or to feeling pleasure, to doing anything that would feel sort of selfish. So I got really curious about, well, where does this really come from? I know a lot of us got into this field because we were helpers in our families um, and in our communities growing up. We, from a very, very early age, were like praised for stepping in in times of need. And so a lot of us have our own personal stories about that. But I was also curious about where is this happening in our training? Where is this happening on a systemic level? Where is this happening in our code of ethics? So that's what I'm going to get into a little bit here. So for instance, in our trainings, we pay a lot of money for our education and we do work. We do labor without being compensated as a part of that training. So from the very beginning in this training process, in the process of becoming therapists, we learn early on to work for free. And so that has an impact on us. It's also quote unquote, cool, not to care about money in our training. So if you're in graduate school and you're with your peers and sometimes your your professors, we oftentimes have certain things that we all sort of agree aren't cool. Like in some circles, we we love to hate on CBT or Freud. Uh, I know at my school, these were like theories or traditions that we were like, ah, we're all somatics people. CBT is kind of bullshit or Freud, he's so archaic, we just don't like him. And similarly, we'll have this attitude about making money, where if anyone were to voice uh, concern about financial their financial future, they might get sort of shamed for that or maybe othered for caring about this or being interested in this, let alone being ambitious or entrepreneurial or excited to make money in the field. That probably wouldn't fly in a lot of our graduate programs. Like that would be a very unpopular thing to express. These are some of the ways that just in our training, we learn early on to not care about money. And not only that, but we do labor for free. We're not compensated for this. We're working oftentimes extra jobs. I know I was, I was working all throughout grad school uh, to pay for my life. And, you know, that was a choice I made. I could have taken out even more student loans to uh, fund my life, but I decided not to do that. And so instead I was working almost full time all throughout grad school. I remember sitting down with um, a friend of mine, another student while we were in grad school, and she was telling me how much she was working outside of school. And I was like, I think I'm probably working about the same like 15 hours. And she was like, there's no way you're only working 15 hours. You have multiple jobs that I kind of counted it out in front of her. I was like, oh man, you're right. <laughs> like, I think I was working something like 35 hours a week during graduate school between like my job where I was making some money and uh, seeing clients for free. So yeah, I mean, a lot of us are working extra jobs while we're working for free, seeing clients during our trainings. Now, some of this 
uh, reference to giving back and working for free or working for no money is also enshrined in our ethical code. So I was looking this up to see like, where does this exist um, in our ethical codes? And I checked out CAMPT, which is the California Association of Marriage and Family Therapists, which I'm a part of. I'm an MFT in California. So I checked out our ethical code there. And it says marriage and family therapists make financial arrangements with clients slash patients and supervisees that are understandable and conform to accepted professional practices and legal requirements. Nothing wrong with that on its face. They also have something about pro bono services. So it says marriage and family therapists are encouraged to participate in activities that contribute to a better community and society, including devoting a portion of their professional professional activity and services for which there is little or no financial return. I wanted to see where else this might show up in other ethical codes, so I also checked out the National Association of Social Workers, and it states in their code of ethics, when setting a fee, social workers should ensure that the fees are fair, reasonable, and commiserate with the services being performed. Consideration should be given to the client's ability to pay. So on their face, there is nothing wrong with these codes of ethics. They're very sound. But how do we define, quote unquote, fees that are fair and reasonable or financial arrangements that conform to accepted professional practices, especially when these terms and phrases are being interpreted by a field that has been built on the exploitation of workers? And what I mean by that is that therapists in their training are doing work for free and just having to kind of figure it out when it comes to affording their lives. And so when we say things like conform to accepted professional practices, our profession has a history of undervaluing and undercompensating workers in this field for a very long time. And so the way we interpret these terms with that history is it's accepted practice in our field to not be financially supported by our own labor. And this gets replicated in the agencies that we work in. It's replicated in our trainings. And then even when we start our own private practices, even when we take on the risk involved, the responsibility involved, we oftentimes continue to perpetuate these things in our own businesses where we continue to underpay ourselves. So that is really important to notice that our code of ethics is one in which we are being told to consider our client's ability to pay. But as far as I could find in these other code of ethics, uh, the ones that I just referenced, the CAMPT code of ethics and the social worker code of ethics, I couldn't find similar references to the therapist's well-being. So when we're setting our fees, we're supposed to consider our client's well-being, but we're not encouraged or maybe we're not like not encouraged, but we're it's never mentioned that we should also be taking into account our own financial needs, um, which makes sense to a degree. Because our code of ethics primary purpose is to guide how we engage with our profession and not our personal lives. So it does make sense on some level that this would be left out, that it wouldn't be included in our code of ethics. Nonetheless, the lack of therapist personal and financial well-being being mentioned, plus the imperative to consider our client's financial circumstances, reinforces the status quo. It seems that our, our own financial circumstances are at best irrelevant, or at worst, they're even unethical to consider. So it's interesting that the well-being of therapists themselves is really hardly ever mentioned in these ethical codes. 
In the Camp Ethical Code, the well-being of therapists is only mentioned insofar as to ensure that our own challenges don't interfere with our clinical work. So really the only time that this consistently comes up in codes of ethics is that we have to make sure that we're well enough to provide these services to our clients. But how we ensure our own well-being isn't really talked about. We're just kind of like, we need to make sure that our services are acceptable to clients and we somehow also need to be well enough to serve them. Good luck with that, right? So I just want to normalize this and help you see that if you've been walking around feeling this pressure, that it isn't something that you just made up. Again, we all have our own personal stories of how how and why we ended up in this field. A lot of us have been praised for stepping in, uh, providing emotional labor, doing some heavy lifting like this at our own expense for a really long time. And our field is replicating that. It is in our code of ethics. And so... It makes so much sense that we equate giving back with basically our own poverty, you know, and a lack of self-care, a lack of prioritizing our own financial well-being. And so I just want to frame this conversation in that context so you can see where this is coming from, that it's probably for you coming from multiple angles, um, and that it does take a lot to sort of resist this or to redefine it for ourselves because it's There's a lot of pressure on us coming from a lot of different directions. And I call this good therapist conditioning. This would 100% be a part of that. It also really means that it is up to us to push up against many decades of precedent and this institutionalized good therapist conditioning to learn how to advocate for ourselves and to find ways to give back that aren't also causing us harm, which oftentimes eventually leads to us leaving the field altogether totally burnt out having our own mental health crises. And so it's up to us as a field to kind of say no more. Like, this is unacceptable. It's ridiculous that we've been functioning in this way. Um, And as I was preparing for this podcast and I was like talking the concept through with my partner, he was like, how are there not unions for therapists? I'm like, yeah, it is kind of crazy. So we talked about unionization. We talked about antitrust laws and price fixing, and we were looking to see like where there are actually unions of therapists. And therapists do get unionized oftentimes in the context of working for agencies. I was a part of a nonprofit here in San Francisco uh, where we unionized the frontline staff, of which I was a part. It was not a therapist at the time. This is prior to going to graduate school, but there were therapists who were a part of that that were unionized. Um, So therapists were unionized, but more so as being in a particular position within this agency rather than having the identity of therapist. So that is a thing that 100% occurs in our field, although I would say not enough. Um, But in terms of like therapists in general being unionized, that's not really a thing. And so anyway, we kind of went down this rabbit hole to see like, does this exist in the world? And we found some really cool things happening in Europe. I was tempted to just devote the rest of this episode to that topic, but I do want to do some more research into it and really get my facts straight before I do a deep dive into that. So if you are curious about this topic, please do let me know because I am pretty fired up about it, but I also uh, would love to hear if it's something that you're actually interested in before I devote a whole episode just to something that's like pretty nerdy, but also really, really cool. All right, so I'm going to switch gears now and we're going to talk about how to give back in a way that doesn't lead to your own burnout, resentment, and being broke. 
Now that you understand where this pressure to give back is coming from and that giving back, quote unquote, is generally defined as undercharging for our services or working in agencies for low wages, it's time to talk about how you can decide what giving back means to you. So I'm going to take you through this step by step so you can evaluate and redefine what does giving back mean to you at this point in time. So first of all, giving back needs to take into account the specifics of your life. One of the problems with this imperative to give back being equated to low wages or having lower fees for our services is, or basing our fees on what the going rate is in our area is that it never takes into account your specific life circumstances, which may include things like having children and wanting or needing to spend more time with them, having a chronic illness that means that you cannot work as much, um, having other financial dependents who are expecting you to support them. Uh, all of these different things need to be factored into your fee and the construction of your private practice. And the sort of blank uh, one size fits all give back is is never going to work for that. So first, you need to take into account your own financial, uh, personal needs, your ability and desire to work. Those all need to be factored into what giving back looks like for you. You also need to understand that what giving back looks like for you right now will not necessarily be what it looks like for you in the future. So again, all of those different things that I just mentioned could change. Your health can change. Your responsibilities to your family and community may change. Uh, your interests and preferences may change. You can also base giving back on balancing that with creating the life and the profession that you're really excited about. Maybe you want to write a book and that means you're going to take time away from seeing clients and therefore your private practice fee would need to allow you to fund your life seeing fewer clients and working fewer hours seeing those clients. So expect that giving back is going to change throughout your life. There may also be moments when you are not giving back, or at least you feel like you're not giving back. There could be a period of time where you just decide, look, I have given back, so to speak, for the last 10 years. I'm ready to not give back for a while. I'm ready to just work in my business and let it be a business that funds my life and take the pressure off of myself to do that. I'm not here to tell you when that's the right or wrong thing to you. And if you're a person who has been feeling like just like you're on the brink of burnout or maybe already burnt out or you're just strapped in your life in general, again, maybe you've been dealing with chronic illness. Maybe you've been taking care of family members or children or whatever. And you're like, I just need to take care of me for a while. You may be approaching a point in time in your business where you're like, this isn't this isn't how I give back. My business is my business. This is how I earn money to care for myself and fund my life. And I'm just going to let it be that right now. That is at times a very legitimate decision to make. And you get to take that into account. Again, this can be very, very hard for a lot of us because we may have a really strong association with our identities being wrapped up in uh, being a person who gives back, right? Again, for a lot of us becoming therapists, was not our first time being in a role where we were taking care of other people emotionally and psychologically. We may have been doing this from a very, very, very young age. And so if we begin to approach this work as a job and a profession and a skilled uh, labor that we are compensated for and that we deserve to be compensated for, that could be a really, really big shift because you have a long history 
likely of doing this type of labor for free, both in your personal life and also in the context of your profession and in your training. So it could feel really, really hard. It may uh, require some, some ego shifts for you. And again, that permission to let this be your career and your profession and really treat it as something uh, whose purpose is to financially support your life. Those of us with this background often worry that if we were to ever do something that kind of feels selfish, that it would be this sort of slippery slope and we would just become this sort of endlessly ravenous monster who would just want more and more and more and become more selfish and more depraved and we'd end up being this person who just doesn't care at all. And this reminds me of my past work uh, in my private practice, working with clients who experienced the same thing. Now, they weren't therapists. They had other jobs, but they also had the worry that, well, if I start taking care of myself, maybe I'll just become a monster. Um, they almost worried, like, well, what if what if I truly am a monster? What if, what if it's all this giving that's kind of keeping my monstrous nature at bay? And if I if I just let my foot off that gas pedal of giving a little bit, what if this monstrous tendency that I have just overtakes me? And I would say, look, I've been working with you for a while. If you lacked empathy and the ability to understand people, connect with them, if you were dealing with uh, being a sociopath, like I would know by now. Like we would have that information. I promise you, you're not in danger of losing your your sense of empathy. And I think that's really important for you to hear too. Starting to take care of yourself in a different way and maybe put yourself first or change what it means for you to give back does not put you at risk of not being able to empathize with others anymore. That is not going to go away just because you start paying more attention to your own financial well-being and taking steps to prioritize that. That will not destroy your ability to empathize or make you a bad person. And again, because giving back has been defined so rigidly in our field as undercharging um, and overworking, there is a lot of pressure on us to continue to give back in that way. And there are a lot of circles of therapists who will shame you if you're not doing that. And so that is why I, it's so important to me to create a space for therapists to really explore this, to be vulnerable about this, where they're not going to get attacked by other therapists for even asking these questions or being curious or thinking out loud. And that's why I'm very clear in Healing Money, my free Facebook group, that none of that is allowed. If anyone is feeling attacked or targeted because they're exploring these things, that's an absolute no-go, and I will put a stop to that. So if you've been wanting a, a place to explore that online where I can guarantee you shaming isn't going to happen, or if it does, I'm going to be on it super quick, um, that is a place for you to come check out. And also for you to engage with this mini course that I created called Healing Money. That's, I mean, the Facebook group is called Healing Money because I made this thing called Healing Money. And it's a mini course that will help address some of the specific ways that therapists have money wounds. Um, and so again, if you're wanting to do a deeper dive on that, those are some resource, resources for you. You can go check those out. Like I said earlier, there may be times in your life where you kind of give yourself permission to not give back. And my guess is that that's not, you won't not give back. You know what I mean? Like you're probably a pretty giving person. So maybe your version of not giving back means you like also take on like a new role in your community or start doing volunteering work 
Or maybe you just have more energy for your loved ones. Maybe you've been a little short with them lately, but perhaps because you're not so busy giving back in your private practice and in your work, you're actually able to be more generous and kind with your loved ones, with the people that are around you. I mean, that is, in my opinion, a really worthy way to give back, man. If we're working so hard in our private practices or agency work that like anyone else in our lives gets a shitty experience with us, I mean, we need to address that, right? Like, how is it that we're giving back so much in our businesses or in the agency work, but our own relationships, our primary relationships are suffering? And I'm, I don't want to say that to shame you. I know you may be in a position right now where you're like, I don't have another choice. Like, I need to have this job. And I, I understand that. Sometimes we're in positions where we don't have the luxury or the privilege to make some of these changes. And I just want to say, when you get to the point, if you get to the point where you do have some options around that, I just want to say, like, you have permission to do that. Showing up in your communities, your families, with your loved ones, with the people you encounter day to day outside of your professional life and doing that skillfully is a really, really beautiful way to give back. Don't underestimate how powerful that is especially in our partnerships, especially with our children, especially with our family members. That's so important. I also want to call your attention to another resource that was so helpful for me to encounter. So it's a book by Trudy LeBron, uh, who is an anti-racist educator and coach. And she has a book called The Anti-Racist Business Book. One of the things that really stuck out to me in that book is her distinguishing between customers, clients, and impact community That had such a big impression on me, and I had never heard somebody really break down this phenomenon in such a clear way. So I'm I'm just going to do my best with it, but I highly encourage you to go get her book. We'll link to it in the show notes. Um, And there's so much wisdom in it outside of just the small section that I'm going to reference. Like I really would encourage you to like dig into the whole thing, but I'm just going to talk about this one concept um, because I think it's very very relevant for us therapists. She talks about how in your business, your customers, clients, and impact community are not always the same set of people. The customers are the people who are purchasing from you. The clients are the people who are receiving the services. And the impact community is the community that you most want to impact, whose uh, people who are part of this community, you want their lives to be transformed. And for a lot of therapists, we are trying to make that person all our client, right? Like we want to help this group of people, but we also need to make money. And if they don't have the resources to pay the fees, that would mean that we wouldn't then get burnt out. We can end up in this really tricky place. And so she really asks us to think about, okay, how can we leverage our time and our money so that we can have the impact we'd like to make? So for instance, I would say one of my impact communities that I'm really interested in is people who are dealing with drug addiction and drug use and would like for that to change. That is a community that I feel pretty passionately about, and it's not a community that I'm currently working with in my professional life. But because of my professional life, I'm compensated adequately, and I have time because I'm not working um, lots and lots of hours. I can then take some of my time, and I can do some volunteer work with this impact community. And so that's a way that we can, quote-unquote, give back Uh, but also ensures that we're meeting our own financial needs. And that's a really good segue into what we're going to go into now, which is what are some ways that you can give back if that's not undercharging? If you're like, you know what, the reality is, is I need to start earning more money in my business right now. So I need to find another way to give back because it is still really important to me. 
And, you know, I'm not at that point where Felicia talked about where I'm just going to give myself permission to not give back. Like, I still need to figure out a way to do that, but it can't be through being broke anymore. Okay, so then I want to give you some options for how you can give back. And again, I'm a little wary to do this because I none of these are one size fits all. I really do want you to take the time to consider what makes the most sense for you. Take your own life into account. And you don't have to do any of these things, I suggest. You can pick your own thing. But I just want to give you some options if you're like, I am just so stuck in good therapist conditioning that the only way that I can think of giving back is just like through keeping really low fees and anyone who wants to be on my sliding scale gets it. I get it. Sometimes it's really hard to just think of other options. So I do want to give you a sort of jumping off point so you can get the ball rolling and think of some of your own ideas. So one of the most obvious ways to give back outside of financial support is volunteering. And there are a gajillion different ways to do this. Like I said, you can take some time to think about the impact community that you're most interested in supporting. And you could look for volunteer opportunities with that community. You could volunteer for a politician that you're interested in or a political organization if you want to see policy changes in your local government and in your community. This could look like financially or otherwise supporting a family member through your efforts. You may decide that that is something that you really want to contribute to. You can get involved in your community in some way. This might sound kind of silly, but just like meeting your neighbors, getting to know the people around you, that's going to take time. Maybe you've never done that before, and it would be a way to foster more community in your neighborhood. You could make a commitment to call your friends on a regular basis and nurture those friendships and be involved with them. You could step up in your nibblings' lives. Maybe you want to be a better auntie to those kiddos, or maybe you'd be a better parent to your own kids, right? Like, There are so many different ways that you can give back. And what I would love for you to do is before you jump to giving back is to ask yourself first, am I in need? Like, should there be a way that other people are giving back to me? And should I maybe like step in in my own life more? Because if you're running out of deficit, again, it may be a good time to just pause and say, I'm going to take the next month, next three months, whatever, to take the pressure off myself to give back and just take care of me right now. That could be exactly what you need so you can get back out there and have an even greater impact. Check to see if there are already ways you're giving back because you probably are. Like outside of the ways that we've been talking about, you're probably giving back in a lot of different ways. And ask yourself, are these working for you? Do these ways that you're giving back, do they work for you or do they need to change? Do you need to find a different way of giving back? And if you are really wanting a way to give back that is financial, one option that I think has been so helpful for me is rather than trying to have my fees be lower, I will take a certain portion of my revenue and devote that to charity and organizations that I care about. So it means I'm not necessarily discounting my services or having those at a low rate, but I do actually take a portion of the revenue from my business and I give that to different organizations that are really meaningful and important to me. And so that is one way to give back financially, but not necessarily have that be on a client to client basis. And this could also be a really good option for supporting your impact community. For instance, if you're in a position where you're needing to raise your fee because you need to be bringing more money in, you need to be working less, and you're finding as a result that people who are part of your impact community are not able to access your therapy services as much, this could be a way to still contribute to that impact community, but also earn the money that you need to sustain yourself. 
So these are just a few different ways to approach this. But once again, it's the most important for you to feel the permission to think critically about this in your life, understand where all this pressure is coming from to do a certain way and make the best decision for you. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope this episode has helped shed some light on where all that pressure to give back comes from and why it's so often defined as financial sacrifice on the part of the provider. I hope you've gotten permission to think critically about how you want to give back and choose a path that works for you and your life right now. Next week is all about how pleasure needs to be a part of how you're running your business and if it's not, how that's actually costing you money. I hope you'll tune in next week and thanks for listening. That's all today for The Bad Therapist Show. Thanks so much for hanging with me. I hope you got some gems that you can start using right away in your own business so that you can break out of good therapist conditioning and build the business that you want. If you've gotten something out of this episode, don't keep it to yourself. Share it with one of your good therapist friends who really needs to hear it. And while you're at it, please consider leaving a rating and or review so that we can change not just our individual businesses, but transform the mental health system that got us here in the first place. Thank you so much. I'll see you next week for more private practice and coaching tips. Remember, bad therapists make the best therapists.